Hello and welcome to Our Netball Family, the official podcast brought to you by World Netball, the sole international governing body for netball. I'm Sophie Reynolds and each episode I'm going to be speaking to a different member of our netball family to find out more about the role they play on and off the courts in helping World Netball achieve its three core strategies, to grow, to play and to inspire. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also visit our website at www.netball.sport for more netball news. Now, let's introduce today's guest. This episode, I'm joined by World Netball's Africa Regional Development Manager, Joan Smith. Joan joined World Netball in 2008 and since then has been heavily involved in the development of netball in Africa at all levels, including the elite level, where she has helped take the number of world-ranked countries in Africa from three to now ten as of August 2022, and also at the grassroots level, where she has assisted with projects such as World Netball's Netball Safaris, which we will hear more about today. Joan has also played netball internationally herself for Namibia and coached the Namibia Under-21 team, but it wasn't an easy journey for her to get there. This episode, we discuss all of Joan's achievements to date in netball, the challenges she has faced to get to where she is now, and how they have inspired her to help others to reach their full potential, as well as the importance of sport, in particular netball, for women and girls and what the Netball World Cup 2023, being in South Africa, means to the region. Welcome to our Netball family, Joan Smith. Hi Joan, thank you for joining me for this episode of Our Netball Family. How are you? Hello Sophie, Uh, it is indeed a privilege. Thank you so much. I am doing perfectly well. Oh, good. No, thank you. It's a privilege for me to interview you. And I'm excited to find out more about your experiences in netball and and everything like that. So how we like to start every podcast is by asking our guests when netball first came into their lives and in what capacity that was. So for you, Joan, when was your first netball experience? So I grew grew up in the former Southwest Africa, which was then regarded as a province of South Africa. And, you know, being mixed race uh, and being growing up in an apartheid system, I was then regarded as, as Black. So we did not have much privileges. Uh, we were not allowed to, to a swimming pool. We were not allowed to tennis courts. So the, the most easiest sport for girls was Nepal. And for boys, of course, was football. And as you know, you don't really need a netball court to play netball. You can do your own netball court. You can do your own posts. And you can do your own balls. So, and this is how we did it. So my netball started, you know, in primary school. 
And then we, I continued in secondary school, then at college level, and then of course, club level. Wow, that sounds like you faced a lot of adversity before you were even able to play netball. But the fact that you could draw those courts and, and set up and make your own posts, how important was having that sport to you growing up in, in those times that were sound very challenging and something no one should ever have to go through? So I grew up in a, in a big family, a typical African family. So uh, we were eight sisters, one mom, one dad, uh, in, in one, you know, small three bedroom house. Um, so my sisters and I, we were the Nepal team. Uh, we were, were, you know, the, you know, each, you know, one another's friend. And, um, and this is how we played netball. So there was always, you know, on school level, netball and football. So after school, you know, when you get home, then, you know, we have these wide open streets, of course, gravel, but that didn't matter to us uh, as long as we could play. And to be honest with you, so we were, we were happy, we grew up as happy children. So netball for us is the only sport that we, that we knew uh, at the time was, uh, was fun. And as long as we as sisters could play with, with one another, that was absolutely the coolest thing. That's amazing that you found you know the fun and some happiness in a sport and it went from being the, this fun thing for you and then you were selected also to represent southwest africa before namibia's independence so how was that experience for you uh correct you know in in 1982 uh now you know how old i am uh um so in 1992, I was the first black player uh, that was who was selected, you know, to represent Southwest Africa in, uh, you know, the provincial tournament that was held annually in South Africa. And uh, I remember so clearly, you know, we traveled in a big, uh, you know, coach down to Uppington. Uppington is a town in the Northwest Cape. It's about a thousand kilometers from the capital of, of Namibia. Um, and I will remember, you know, the, the, the team manager called me to one side and she said to me, you know, you, I'm the first black player in a team and it will, my behavior will depend whether more black players will get into a team going forward. Wow, so, that's a lot of pressure to, you know, yes, for someone to say so, that to you. It's... Yeah, so so the next, but you know what, that was, that was all that we know, you know, that, that we knew at the time. And, and for us, it kind of sound, sounded normal. So um, the next morning, you know, my dad dropped me with my little bag and we got onto the bus and I was all by myself in front of the bus my my teammates were all in the back of the bus and when we got to Uppington uh, you know I stayed with the former Transkai players in in a small very small hotel in in the uh, dark you know black community uh, and my teammates went to 
in a hotel in the middle of town. So every morning for, for, the, for that week, I would get onto the bus um, with the Transkai players in, in their bus to the courts where I would meet my team players. We would then play for the day. And after the, the games in the afternoon, I would get onto the, the bus again with the Transkai players back to, you know, to the place where we stayed. And, uh, you know, the, the, the day before we left, the team manager said to me, okay, so tomorrow you bring your bag because after the games, we will leave. So this, I will remember, I remember it was Saturday afternoon we finished. We got into the bus to the hotel, but at, at the hotel, I was not allowed to get into the hotel. So my team players got into, the, into their hotel, they got ready, you know, for the long trip back. I stood outside the hotel because I was also not allowed to sit alone in the bus. And then when they came, we got into the bus and, and we drove and, and we came back. Uh, so, uh, and like I said, you know, that was kind of normal because this is what we knew. And to be honest with you, my parents, myself, my family, we were just so grateful for the opportunity. You know, yeah. I must also say, you know, those experiences of those years, you know, made the biggest of biggest friends until now. Because, you know, what I did, I took the best I could take from that, um, you know, the, the positive side I took with me. And up to date, I'm still having wonderful, wonderful friends of those years. Wow, you really are a trailblazer in sport. And it's just breathtaking that you had to go through those experiences. And what made you want to keep playing netball and wanting to be part of the netball family when you were being treated in, in these ways? Netball was, you know, was my, my, our sports love me for me and my sisters. And, uh, before maybe I should just go a few tracks back yeah. you know I was we were in a sports club and the sports club also had rugby and at some point the management of the sports club called us in and this put us you know uh, to a, the choice of breaking away from you know the white netball and only play you know uh, black netball and then, you know, it was at that point that me and my sisters decided, but with in staying there, we're not going to make any progress. Uh, and for us, it was important, you know, to, to show our, you know, um, the other side, you know, the black side of it, that we, we are equal, you know, we can play as well as, as good as they play, uh, we can be friends. Uh, you know, we 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 can be one big family, and that was the start of a journey where we just decided that there was no turning back. You know, it was a matter of focusing and see how we can open doors for ourselves and for the netball generations to come in yeah. Namibia and and this was exactly what happened it was not easy 
the, the interesting thing is, you know, we had a white coach. And every Saturday, you know, they would, the umpires would take us out of games. And at some point, you know, the coach would stop the game and he would take us off court. And he would say to us, you know, I'm not going to allow them to humiliate you any further. But then on Monday, we were back at the training, uh, you know, venue. And then he would say to us, you know, I know how they think because I'm, they are, they are my people. I know how they think they don't want you to be here, but you will stay here so that you can bring the change. And this is exactly what we did. That is exactly what you did. You've opened so many doors for the next generation. And there's been obviously so many changes. And when Namibia's independence then did come, you actually were part of the first team to ever represent Namibia in netball. And not only that, you were the captain of that team. How did that feel? Can you remember that moment that you were called up and asked to be captain after you'd faced so much adversity and stayed so strong to open so many doors for yourself and others? That must have been a remarkable experience. Absolutely. You know, I will never forget, you know, uh, when, when our people for the first time could go out and vote. Uh, for us, it was just, wow, this is, we're going to become independent. And independence means, you know, international participation. And it was exactly, you know, early the next year, the invitation came uh, for Namibia to participate in, in the 1991 Nepal World Cup in, in Sydney. And uh, I was extremely honoured you know, to be uh, appointed as captain, you know, for the team. And I will never forget, you know, uh, it was it was a totally, totally unknown world to us. Um, you know, uh, we got onto the plane. Now, for many of us, it was the first to start with, the first time on a plane. And um, because of um, the apartheid system, South African Airways were not allowed uh, in the Australian airspace. So the trip was extremely long. We, we traveled from Namibia to Johannesburg, from Johannesburg to Mauritius, from Mauritius to Singapore, and from Singapore to Sydney. Wow. So it, it was hours and hours of travel, but you know, we were so excited, you know, to get there. And I will never forget I think we surprised, you know, the entire Australian media because they were expected a black team from Africa. Yeah. And I think they, they, for them, it was not clear what we would wear. And it was strange to them that we wore proper netball shoes. So it was quite interesting. And I can remember, you know, the wonderful, you know, reception at the airport. We went and we stayed for the for a pre-training camp. We went and we stayed with families. And those Australians were absolutely wonderful in the way they treated us. But for them, it was interesting uh, because, you know, in Africa, we sing and we dance. And this, this is what, what we did. Uh, and that they found kind of strange, 
you know, the singing and the dancing with the netball. Uh, but but they they loved it. The media loved it. You know, they were at all our you know training uh, training sessions, and then of course the big event started. Now I, if I remember clearly, so um, Namibia was country number twenty two, unranked number country number twenty two. But we, it was the first time on you know, in an indoor court, the first time, you know, on a sprung floor. So for us, it was absolutely overwhelming, but an experience which I, it feels like, you know, yesterday, recalling it now. And the Australians had this beautiful netball song that they played uh, every day when you entered and, 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 and throughout the day. And I can so clearly remember how we danced, you know, on that song and, and the friendships we made. Uh, of course, the, the game against New Zealand, I will never forget, uh, you know, after the first quarter, the, you know, there was a very, very small gap between uh, the, the scores and even during halftime. And immediately after that game, they, we were hosted, the captains of the teams were hosted by the Australian Prime Minister. And, um, and the New Zealand, um, the New Zealand uh, captain was, you know, asked to say something. And she said, you know, they did not expect, you know, the, the strong competition uh, in, against an unknown country during the first two quarters. And when they interviewed me, I, I said to the media, uh, the privilege you know, and honor for us to be there. And in a game like that, you know, netball has won. Nothing else but netball. Absolutely. And am I right in saying that two of your sisters were actually there with you, chosen for the team too? So that must have been a full circle moment to go from playing and drawing out your own courts and, you know, not having an actual netball to playing, you know, in, in netball shoes on a, on a sprung court in Australia with your two sisters. How, how did that feel for you? Absolutely. Now, you know what, my, my, my youngest sister from, of, of the three of us uh, was the goal shooter. I was the goal attack and my sister was, uh, the other one was the center. And an attacking lineup. <laughs> and yeah, and, and it was always, it was always, you know, with, with sisters, uh, you don't compromise anything. There's nothing to lose. You get on the court and you play and you give it your all. And that is the amazing thing with sisters because we think the same and we we are not very good losers. <laughs> you know, so, so we would play, we would put everything into it. And, um, and you know, it was a matter of every single Every single ball that gets into the, the circle needs to be a goal. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm proud to say, you know, that my sister MC was after the tournament, the goal shooter with the highest goal percentage. Amazing. <laughs> tournament, exactly. So, uh, and, 
And because of our performance there at the World Cup, we finished uh, 13th, you know, and because of the performance there, New Zealand then invited us to play in the Milo Tri-Series in, um, in 1993, you know, in New Zealand. That's incredible. So more doors opening with every Absolutely. every step you took, which was that promise you made to yourself right back Absolutely. at the club and growing up. Exactly. And so, you know, we, we, we so became part of the netball family, the white netball family in the country with the selection of the team. Eight of the 12 players were kind of black. So it shows you the growth you know, of netball being in the country to that to that stage. Yeah. And what was your proudest moment at playing for Namibia? Because there must have been so many from the 1991 World Cup and then being invited to New Zealand and and it seeing it all become one netball family as it should be, regardless of of who you were or your race or what you looked like. So so much must have happened in that time for you in society and sport. But I'll get on to that in a minute. So what was your proudest moment representing Namibia? Uh, of course, you know the fact that I was one of the first players after independence to represent my country on an international level. Indeed, you know, the proudest moment. And secondly, as, you know, the captain of the team. But then, you know, looking back now was also, um, you know, what we achieved, you know, for netball in the country. Uh, because, you know, more, more black teams managed to get into the netball leagues. Uh, and the next moment, it was all this rainbow nation in Namibia on netball courts. It's absolutely remarkable. You are so strong and you've achieved so much for the sport. And we're, we're only just talking about the start of your journey in sport yeah. here. We've got so much more to talk about. So I'm just going to move us on slightly to um, some of the work you've, you've done in sport, but actually the challenges you faced to, to get your education and the qualifications you needed to, to move along in your career, because that wasn't easy for you either. These challenges you faced weren't just specific to netball. As you said, it was society and with Namibia's independence became your first vote. And, you know, the first time you were allowed to do other things. So you actually had to move from Namibia to South Africa to complete your teaching qualification to be allowed to go to college. How hard was, was that decision for you? And how was that move? Uh, correct. You know what, Sophie, I had no choice. Uh, and, and again, you know, you could either become a teacher or a social worker or a nurse um, because, you know, we needed to travel to South Africa to attend a college or a university for black students. <coughs> we were not allowed in, in any white university or college. So, so there was no choice. But once again, you know, for me, it was the opportunity, you know, to become a teacher. And I remember, you know, we traveled by train because, you know, my mom was a housekeeper 
and my dad was a truck driver. Now, you know, I don't even want to compare truck drivers here with truck drivers abroad because, uh, you know, those years, the salaries were extremely low. My mom was, my mom, mom's background is, you know, from, from Indian. Uh, so she, you know, her complexion was very dark. And uh, so my mom was more seen as a housekeeper working, you know, for, for other people. But that was, that was fine because for her, it was always a noble job as long as, you know, she could earn money to raise us. Um, so, you know, and for them, it was also the pride of sending a daughter to, a, to become a teacher. So we traveled on the train uh, for four days to South Africa. Wow. And, and there, you know, I studied for three years and got my teacher's qualification. And then I, I came back after three years. But of course, every six months, I could travel by train home, you know, for some holidays and, and then back. Um, and then after, you know, uh, I, I immediately after independence, I managed, you know, to get, of course, then the, the, the universities, the technicons in Namibia opened up. And I then managed to do uh, my diploma in business administration. So I wanted not to, to do, you know, the, the teaching side only. However, you know, I loved, you know, teaching because I love children. And it was so, so nice, you know, to play all kinds of games, all kinds of netball, you know, with them. Um, and then, you know, a few years back, you know, I said to myself, okay, now it's time. Of course, in between, you know, you do short courses, you know, in project management year, uh, uh, some courses, you know, to, to just make sure, you know, that, that you keep track uh, with the developments. And then I decided to do my master's uh, on, the, on the International Olympic Committee's program. And uh, for my master's thesis, I indeed wanted to do my research on what can we do to ensure female leadership in, you know, executive committees of higher sport organizations and to see, you know, what we can do to make sure that we break in Africa, that we break through the national uh, laws and traditions uh, so that women can also get proper education. Wow, you are a true female leader. So that was what a thesis for you, for you to pick. That's incredible to hear. And just taking you back a little bit to um, when you were in South Africa at that first part of your, well, not the first part, but the first bit of your education in South Africa. How yeah. was that experience in that college for you? Was it, you know, how were you treated? Um, how was the experience being away from your family and only coming back every six months? Coming from a big family, I guess that must have been quite hard. It was hard indeed, you know, because we are a very, very close-knitted family and I was very close to my mom. So, you know, it was always the crying when the train leaves the station from home. And, you know, when you get to the other side, you know, you can't call them home because you cry when you call 
and then of course but then you realize you're here to study you're here, you're here to succeed and you're here for a purpose so um i was uh, on the student council you know at at the college, you know, as well, I participated. I love, you know, the extramural activities. Um, you know, participated in everything that I possibly could, whether it was culture, whether it was education, whether it was sport. And uh, yeah, you know, you, you're just so happy, you know, when you pass and you come home and you know, now you, you're a teacher, now you can start teaching. Yeah, and then you came back and you were working in the primary school in Namibia and you were yes. giving back to children and, and seeing these children um, having access to sport. And for you, when you were younger, you didn't have access to all the same sports as they probably did then when you were a teacher. So how did that feel stepping back into a school and seeing these children have so much more access? Absolutely, you know, and, and being part of opening doors for them, you know, then, you know, uh, partnering, you know, with white schools, learn from, you know, the, the white teachers who at the time, you know, became my friends through netball. You see, because this was, this was a family that grew and in the league where we played, um, the Namibia Teachers College, which was then those years, previous years, only for white students. Um, you know, I became, we became big, big, big friends. And so they were also now teachers. So there was that very nice exchange, you know, of all kinds of, of programs. And then of course, the, the netball, you know, the mini netball program that I was involved in, you know, playing with the little ones and seeing, you know, how they move on to secondary school and how they move on, you know, into clubs. Yeah, and how important would you say sport is to children? Oh, absolutely, Soph, you know, you, you clearly, you clearly see how a child was doing sport in school, how they manage, you know, with, with time, uh, how enrich, uh, how the, you know, the sport enrich the minds. It is, you know, the perfect, you know, relaxation uh, for a child, you know, to go and do a little bit of sport and bring them back, you know, to do the academic part. You, you, you certainly clearly see the results in their schoolwork. You, you clearly see how they learn to communicate. They just the better communicators. They just learn to understand better uh, in class because on the netball court, they also need to understand. And then there was the teamwork, the teamwork part as well. I'm part of a team. Uh, so I cannot win all a netball game all by my by myself. Um, but then coming into a class situation, I can help the next person, but I also need to learn how to become independent because my result in class, I need to achieve as a, an independent person. Yes. So, um, and with sport, you know, children, they were just much easier learners, you know, on the academic side. 
this whole conversation has just really brought to light how sport is more than just physical activity and netball as we always say has the power to change lives it's more than just a sport and I think it just really shines through in everything you're saying how true that is as much as we say it all the time and then moving on slightly you spoke about how you then made a move into the business administration side of things and you went back into um, education and gains more qualifications and then in 1987 you went on to join the academy for territory education in an administrative role um, so how was that next step for you and sort of that next period of your life exactly so I just also want to mention before I respond to this um, it was also so nice you know in the primary school uh to make sure that the girls know that girls can also play, you know, that girls are also important. And, you know, there's, there's no difference between a boy and a girl. They, they're absolutely equal. Absolutely. Uh, of course, you know, for me, now I need to be very honest with you. So politics kicked in while I was still in uh, a school teacher. And uh, I was, you know, playing netball in the white league everything was oh you know has opened up and then one day i was called in by the authorities you know because we for each for each race you know culture group there was an authority a government authority and then the government authority for colors which we were called at the time called me in and the guy said to me okay you're an educator you're a teacher so um they didn't want me i need to decide whether i would continue in the white league or whether i uh will you know get away from the white league to promote black sport and and this was the decision that i had to make and I just said to myself, then I, you know, the progress that I made up to that stage would not making me to go back. No. There's no future for me to promote just black sport. As a black person, I need to make and bring about the change where I need to do it. And this is where I resigned as a school teacher. Two months after that, I then got the job at the the now University of Namibia. So that must have been a big period of change again enforced on your life. So how was that, you know, resigning because you felt so strongly about your beliefs and how you should be treated, but you were then left without a job, you know, looking for this new job. So that must have been a really hard time in your life to navigate indeed, indeed you know two months you know without without a job without a salary was a big thing back then um but then you know i was still staying you know with my parents so so it it, it was all fine um you and know, how were your parents with the fact you made that decision i was you know absolutely fully supported because my parents had the same view of you know changing change must come you know we cannot stay where we are and you know they came 
through a very, very, very rough apartheid system then. And they wouldn't want to see us continuing in a system like that. So, um, so it was a new world for me, you know, in an administrative position, you know, at the academy. And the academy at that time hosted three com components, the university side, the technical side, and then the te technical side. And I was in the office of the registrar, where we were dealing with uh, student admissions, registrations, examinations, um, uh, you know, graduation ceremonies. Um, so it, 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 it was a new world. But, you know, I so in, uh, remember the registrar was, you know, this white guy who was extremely, extremely kind. And, uh, you know, I learned so, so much from him. He taught me everything that I needed to know. And then I was working with a faculty officers and all the faculty officers were white. And we worked together as one team. And did that so, show so you that you'd was, made the right decision? Yes, that was absolutely the, 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 the perfect decision to make at the time. So yeah. one of my, some of my best, best, best years, you know, was my contributions uh, during my time, you know, then at, of course, um, the, the, the university then decided after independence, the university moved to the college, which was only the buildings for white, for white students because it was huge. So the university moved there. I moved to with the university and then the, the, the polytechnic, you know, uh, part, you know, remained at the, at the, the campus where we were. And then about, you know, three weeks after we moved, the, you know, the rector of the polytechnic called me and he made an offer for me to go, come back to the polytechnic. I then, you know, uh, left the university, moved back to the Polytechnic. It was just a transfer. Moved back to the Polytechnic, you know, started working, you know, in, in the office, you know, of the registrar and then in the office of the rector. And then I ended up there in international relations. Wow, you really did work your way up and in, in the face of adversity, you know, come out stronger and come out the other side. And all of this was all going on during the period of mm. Namibia's independence. So yeah. not only were you going through playing for Namibia internationally, you were also going through all of this career-wise all at the same time. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I also must say, you know, and of course, when I moved to, to the Polytechnic, I started the netball you know, at the Polytechnic. So in, I would work until five o'clock in the end. And then in the afternoons after five, we did netball training. Uh, and, and it was a lovely time, you know, to play netball for my own club, but also to, you know, to, to train the, the Polytechnic netball team. Uh, so it, it was absolutely, you know, fun because netball was and is, you know, my big love when it when it comes to sport. 
Um, so um, during my my uh, my work as as international relations officer at the Polytechnic, I was also responsible for the events. So you know I would organize the the graduation ceremony. Uh, if once a year, I would, you know, organize events with with embassies, you know, with with all the embassies, um, the partnerships, and it was through one of those interactions and you know alumni events that I did with the American embassy in in Namibia that I was then headhunted by the American embassy, you know for the protocol assistant to the ambassador. Yes, and that was that around 2006, that next part that was, of the American embassy. Yeah, that, that was in 2006. And how was it then your work and, there for the and, embassy? And that was a different, a totally different world. Um, you know, it. I was the very first protocol assistant because it was a job that they created. Uh, for the, you know, so there was a lot of work, close work with the ambassador. The ambassador at the time was Joyce Barr, uh, a Black American woman, uh, also brilliant, brilliant leader, a great sense of humor. And I did a lot of work with Joyce Barr. Um, and I had the opportunity to travel, you know, to uh, Fort Lauderdale, to get you know some training on um, you know the USA protocols you know with within the governments and uh, came back. Uh, what was really nice though was all the connections that I uh, through my job made with the different high commissions, the different embassies and then eventually with the different ministers. Yeah. And that, to be honest with you, was the big preparation. At that time, I didn't know it, but that was part of the big preparation for my netball job. Yeah, which, which was your next job, which leads me on to the next part mm -hmm. of, of this interview, is you're obviously now working for World Netball as the Regional Development Manager for Africa. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, so that the, the listeners know, what your job now at World Netball entails and how long you've been doing this job for now? Yeah, so uh, I know, so I knew, you know, in uh, 2008 when this job was advertised, I said to myself, okay, you don't have much of a chance. But, you know, so two days before the closing date, I put my application in. And we, we all know, no, no, no maybe not everybody knows, but at the time, uh, we had serious, serious problems with netball development in Africa. And we, at the time, you know, the International Netball Federation knew exactly what the problem was. And it was hard to address the problem because there was, a, you know, a confederation of netball associations uh, the body that was supposed to develop and grow Nepal on the continent was, in, uh, on the contrary, moving our countries away from Nepal. 
taking them away from international participation, taking them away from uh, regional participation. And, um, and, and there was a group of ladies led by one lady in Namibia. So the big problem was really coming from Namibia. And uh, netball being the biggest female sport in Africa was in the end, the sport that suffered through a committee that was not willing, you know, to drive the development of the biggest female sport on the continent. And um, the International Federation, like is the case now, at that time knew that Africa was a sleeping giant when it comes to netball. There was so much that net, Africa can, could contribute to international netball. And then the International Netball Federation was absolutely determined for change, you know, to come about so that netball can grow on the continent. And I knew I was one of a few, probably one or two Namibians who come applied. And I knew the chances was very slim. But then, you know, in, in May, 2008, I was blessed, you know, to, to get this job. Wow. And when you started, as you said, um, there was Africa was this, this sleeping giant and there was only three countries ranked um, in Africa at the time in the World Netball World Rankings, but was then the International Netball Federation. And now, um, as of the 12th of August, 2022, there were 10 countries ranked. So that's just one tangible change of, of the work you've done in the region. Um, but what else has changed since you've been working there? And what have been some of your key goals and aims and parts of your work in that time? Uh, so, you know, it was very important for me to first address the actual problem. Yeah. And to try and resolve the actual problem. And this is where I started. And it, it took a little bit of time, but looking back now, it was not, it was actually a, a short period of time. And with all the support of the board of World Netball, uh, all the support of the secretariat, in, in Manchester, you know, we, 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 we were so driven, you know, to make sure, you know, that, that we develop Africa. And uh, of course, with the partnerships with UK Sport on the development side, empowering women and girls, the Commonwealth Games Federation side, uh, making sure that we attend to the high performance uh, you know, development of netball, of umpires, of officials. So the three organizations were they actually, you know, made this huge, huge impact, you know, in Africa and the work started immediately. So we infiltrated countries doing, you know, the netball safaris. Yes. And through the netball safaris, you know, we grew the membership. I'm, I'm putting this now in a very, very shorter format, not to waste time. We, you know, the netball safaris reached as far as we possibly could. And could we you just, 
sorry, I know you're trying to make it short, but could could you tell people just a little bit more about what the netball safaris were for people that that name might not mean anything to them, but actually they were, they were very important and they were part of the UK sport Commonwealth games federation and world netball. And they started in 2009. So just a year after you joined world netball. So could you just tell us a little bit more about what happened at those netball safaris? Absolutely. So, so the netball safaris, is our development, grassroots development program. And that was supported hugely by UK Sport. Um, And I must say, you know, if it wasn't for for the contributions from UK Sport, I'm not sure if we would have had the reach into Africa that we in the end managed. But to come back, you know, it's a program that we run over six days. Uh, And this is where the connection with the embassies came because I could reach out first to sport ministers. Um, And with the sport ministers, that uh, the the ministers work through the embassies, I I connected to the ministers and got the ministers buy-in, you know, to contribute from their side, also some funding for us to get into a country, work with teachers for three days, train those teachers as netball coaches and umpires, and then for four days, those teachers apply all the knowledge, um, you know, to, you know, the children, and the children, you know, with the children, we made little little clubs, little teams that these teachers kind of owned. And they, within the, the next four days, they needed to show us, you know, that they can coach netball basic, that they could umpire netball, you know, the basic protocols of netball. Uh, our big, big partner still today, Gilbert, international Gilbert would, you know, always make the balls, the bips, the cones, the whistles, the rule books available. We would print the manuals, you know, provided by World Netball. And so whenever I would go with tutors, and I must also say most of the tutors at the time came from the UK as volunteers with no payment, as volunteers. And with those tutors, we would infiltrate in a positive way, infiltrate these countries in Africa with huge success and reach, you know, within the countries for netball. Once we would leave a country, the we leave the the balls, the bubs, everything. And we were then made sure that there was a proper established and constituted netball federation in the country that could carry on with the netball. So we were certain that once netball was planted and rooted in schools, then from there it would grow into clubs and uh, of course, and this is where the federations would take over. And what a brilliant, you know, recipe that worked perfectly well in Africa. Yeah. To the extent so that when we started to move from the English speaking countries into the French speaking countries, um, 
it was so easy, you know, just to roll out, you know, the netball safaris. Unbelievable. And it sounds like it's all about starting at that that route and building up. And it also it's as if all parts of your life that you'd worked towards and every different sacrifice and change you had to make. So from working in that primary school and having to make the change and then ended up working in the embassy, the American embassy, where you met those ministers, all helped you when it came to this job at Wild Netball and all the pieces of the puzzle began to fall together for you, but also for Netball within Africa, which is incredible to hear and we're still seeing that same growth now so I will move on later to the Netball World Cup coming up in Cape Town in 2023 but before I do I just wanted to touch on the Netball World Cup 2019 with you and the Net 2019 project which came next so as part of Liverpool 2019 for the listeners the Netball World Cup England Netball, Wild Netball, which was then known as the International Netball Federation, as we as we said earlier, and the UK Sport again, all worked together to set up the Net 2019 legacy project. And one of the countries chosen as a focus in this project was Zambia. And the mission of this project was to empower women and girls through the power of netball and the legacy of the Netball World Cup 2019. So we're still seeing impacts of this project now, but could you just tell our listeners a bit about that Net 2019 project and what's now happening in Zambia because of it? Yeah, so uh, just just one 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 step back. Yeah, uh, I need I need to to mention you know that with you know with the relationships uh, with the Commonwealth Games Federation, uh, there was no office you know, back when I was appointed. So the Commonwealth Games Federation, the CEO at that time was John Eads. And John had a meeting with the president of the Commonwealth Games Association of Namibia, who, you know, was also the president of the Namibia National Olympic Committee. She's now the minister of sport in the country, but John back then had a meeting with her. And John said to her, but, please give Joan an office at the Olympic House. And the arrangement there was, okay, we will give her an office, but then she will need to do some part-time work for the Olympic Committee in Namibia as well. As well as working for World Netball at the time. As well, yeah, as a, in, on a part-time basis, you know, yeah. after, after my netball hours. Yeah. And, that, and that, real, that partnership, that relationship, became so strong. I'm still in my netball office in the Olympic Committee. And, and this has created me a totally different base where I operate with Commonwealth Games Associations and National Olympic Committees in, in getting assistance and support for my netball federations in the African countries. Now to come back to 2019. Which is when they worked with the Commonwealth Games Federation. So that all yeah. next. Yeah. Exactly. I cannot tell you how I get goosebumps if I think about 2019 and, and where we started, you know, with England Netball and with UK Sport. Uh, you know, UK Sport uh, was always so good to me uh, in Netball. And, you know, we looked at, at Zambia and, you know, what was a, the, a big blessing was that UK sport 
um, at that time, I had Liz Brumet with me who was working as a volunteer over the years. And Lizzie was a brilliant partner in doing, you know, my netball safaris. So, um, you know, and, and net, uh, England netball and UK sport was so prepared, you know, to give me and World Netball the opportunity to listen, to tell us how we think we should run out the legacy program in Zambia. And I'm grateful that they listened to World Netball. So we in World Netball, we rolled out the program exactly the way we knew it would make big impact. So we concentrated on burning netball grassroots level. We concentrated on high performance. We concentrated on uh, the governance structures. Assist uh, Zambian netball, you know, to become even as volunteers, a proper, properly governed national federation uh, to train umpires, to train coaches, and to train coach tutors and testers, umpires, tutors and testers. And we achieved all those, you know, as part of the legacy. Um, the One of the most amazing things that we created through a partnership with the Wallace Group, a group of universities in the UK and sport in action in, in an NGO in Zambia was the creation of the netball hub sites. Yes. And these netball hub sites were created in the poorest of poor communities in Zambia, where we would identify an open space, made a netball court, a gravel netball court with netball posts, uh, netball balls, again, sponsored by Gilbert International. And, uh, you know, and then playing netball in, in, in those rural and very, very poor areas. And at the same time, it became a little netball center where netball is playing once a week, maybe twice a week where possible, and where children get assisted by the volunteers, coaches, and, and umpires that were trained through the legacy program. They assist these children with their schoolwork. And in most cases, they get one meal a day when they come from school. And most, most, most amazingly, it now has grown into not only sport, but a social enterprise. During COVID, during the lockdown, those, you know, umpires, uh, volunteers, coach volunteers, they then realized, but these centers need to, to generate something, you know, because children needs to be fed and the work needs to carry on, even though they could not play netball. So... Uh, the social enterprise came in and they are now making clothes, jewelry, you know, shoes, you know, uh, uh, all those, you know, little accessories. Um, and and it, it's, it's just amazing, you know, how the legacy program has, has started, you know, down there with a little 
you know, netball ball with a netball ball and a netball player. And, and you know, it is just bursting, you know, across Zambia now. Yeah, and those dresses you were talking about, if people want to see those on the IWG new case studies they've got on their, on their website, I'll pop a link in the article that goes with this podcast. There's a case study all on NET 2019 and there's pictures of these dresses that they've, they've made, which are amazing and again show how netball is more than just a sport and how things have changed. And also listening to you speak then, it sounded like yet another full circle moment working on these projects for you, where you're now seeing these courts being drawn out again in some of these um, poorest communities in Zambia. And when you were a young girl, you were doing exactly the same thing. What you went through and seeing it all happen and seeing the progressions being made, and these hub sites, does it make you even more passionate about these legacy projects and the hub sites because of your own personal experiences? No, ab- absolutely so, absolutely. Um, and and then just see, you know, you know, you yeah, when when they, okay, of course, many of the courts have now changed through partnerships. They are now in many of these, you know, hub sites proper, you know, a, a proper floor. Uh, but 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 to hear all those boys and girls because you know we we don't keep the boys away it's all for us in netball it's all about gender equality it's all about safeguarding of not only girls but the boys as well you know and bringing them together and and you know value you know one another uh, and see the worth in in each one of them to hear them laugh and, and to hear them, you know, to see how they run and they, how, you know, how happy they are. Um, I think that that is the most rewarding, you know, of it all for me. Yeah, absolutely. And if just recently we published our Netblin article um, about the hub sites and the fact that now, and this was obviously a project from the Liverpool World Cup in 2019 and and now in 2022 these hub sites are engaging with over 8,000 children under 16 um, and they've trained over 200 coaches nationwide how does that make you feel hearing those statistics you know what so and I need to add to that and one of those coaches were is now the assistant coach of the Zambian netball team wow. who represented, you know, Zambia, and more of them, you know, are coming through. More of them, you know, are all over in clubs, and uh, you know, through the Wallace Group, we have an excellent volunteer on the ground working with Sport in Action and the National Federation uh, for netball, uh, JP. Uh, you know, JP, JP is we, we are now hoping so to roll out, you know, the, you know, the hub sites out, you know, in other countries. Yeah, absolutely. I am absolutely sure because the impact is, is so, so amazing and it's so huge. You can't, you know, you can't keep it to you know, to one yeah, one country only. So I really hope we can do that. I really, really hope that we can have the opportunity to put up a stand next year at the World Cup 2023, where we can show, showcase, 
you know, those dresses, the accessories, everything, you know, where everybody can come and see what the legacy program of 2019 has delivered and, and even, you know, sell, you know, some of, you know, those uh, items. That would be very, very special. And I think it's just so amazing that the NET 2019 legacy project is still living on and making tan a tangible impact and tangible changes in Zambia. And, and as you just said, we're less than a year away now from the next NET World Cup, um, which will be in Africa, South Africa and Cape Town specifically. How exciting is that for you after you've seen this region grow so much um, over the years? I actually want to scream and say whoop whoop, you know. <laughs> I think uh, we can do that. <laughs> this is time, you know, time for Africa. I also must say, you know, 2017, uh, Nepal World Youth Cup in, in Khabarone, Botswana wow. was also this beautiful event. And I'm so grateful for World Nepal uh, for giving us the opportunity you know, uh, to, to, to do this. But coming back, you know, to 2023, you so Cape Town will be big. Cape Town will be huge. And I promise, I promise, you know, not only netballers around the world, but, you know, families around the world, that Cape Town will not disappoint. World netball will not disappoint. Um, African Nepal will not disappoint. It's it's going to be a huge. Cape Town is, is beautiful and it will be the best of Nepal that we, we can see. You know, we have now seen in in um, in the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, you know, every single day the, the venue was absolutely Cool. It was an atmosphere like I've never experienced before. It was before. an atmosphere and I really hope, and I hope my South African uh, sisters, uh, you know, will listen to this. You know, what was amazing about the England crowds was the fact that they cheered for everybody. Yeah. It was, right. it was so universal, unbelievable. And this is, I hope, the, the spirit of Nepal that we can carry through uh, throughout, you know, the World Cup next year. It is so exciting. And we've obviously now got all 16 teams as yes. invited teams confirmed, which is so, so exciting. And as you said, then hopefully that same atmosphere, and I'm, I'm positive it will be, will be recreated in Cape Town. But the legacy of these events is, is what's sort of the most important part. So the legacy that's lived on from 2019. Um, how important is hosting this World Cup to Africa as a whole? It is extremely important, Soph, because, uh, you know, it is, this will be a confirmation to Africa, to the African Union, an absolute confirmation that netball creates the equality in sport that no other sport can do. Uh, the upliftment of netball. You know what, so in Africa, I'm going to take a chance by saying the bigger of our crowds are male, male spectators watching netball. Uh, you know, male supporters, you know, watching 
female netball. And that brings the equality side, you know, so, so clearly through that. I do not think any other sport can do but netball. Um, it is so important for, for, for Africa. Uh, I can promise you that we will even grow netball after the World Cup next year in more countries further up north Africa. And they will not be only countries in name. They will be strong netball playing and competitive countries. It's just so exciting and, and listening to you today and how far Namibia has come and how far Africa has come as a region. Um, it just makes it even more special and even more exciting that that's where the Netball World Cup is going to be in Cape Town, South Africa next year. And I can't wait. It's going to be brilliant for the sport. So thank you so much for sharing with us in more detail the journey that Africa has been on to get here, because I think that will just make everyone, when everyone listens back to this podcast, I think they'll understand just how important this event is. So thank you, Joan. And finally, just to end this podcast, I could keep chatting to you for hours about this, but how I like to end every podcast is by asking our guests what more they would like to do in the future to help World Netball achieve one of its three core strategies. So to grow, to play and to inspire. So what more would you like to do to help World Netball grow, play or inspire in the future? Of course, so to, to, to further grow the sport in this beautiful continent of Africa and, and to use netball in all three our core values, to, to use netball as the pinnacle, you know, sport across the world to show everybody, you know, the, the, the equality in sport, um, you know, the strong leadership, you know, that we as women, you know, can, can bring forth uh, in, in all aspects of life to grow the governance in our netball governing bodies. Zambia showed us through the 2019 legacy program that yes, we can go strong in governance and become, you know, the leading federation in each country to grow more leadership, female leadership, in executive boards, in the national, in the higher national federations, such as the, the Commonwealth Games Associations, the National Olympic Committees, and even further, you know, in the international body. I'm, I'm sure we are already on, on the path, you know, in create in getting there, but mostly to use netball, to keep on using netball as the biggest inspiration for that little girl who has got a choice of how many different sports, but to inspire that little girl to play netball one day, to choose netball as the preferred sport. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's so important. And I've had goosebumps throughout this chat today so many times. So Thank you for sharing your story and your journey with us and, and being so open because I think it's so important that people understand the adversity and the challenges that the leaders in sport and the leaders in our sport and people just in their general lives have faced to get netball and other sports where they are today. So thank you, Joan, 
for growing our netball family and being a trailblazer in our sport because without people like you we wouldn't be where we are today so thank you for joining me today and thank you for all that you've done thank you so and thank you to world netball for giving me the opportunity to do what i love most and my passion uh, to be part of a brilliant team in manchester and to grow the sport in on this beautiful continent of africa Thank you. We're lucky to have you in our netball family. Thank you so. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Our Netball Family, the official podcast brought to you by World Netball, the sole international governing body for netball. We hope this conversation has left you feeling motivated to help World Netball on its journey to grow, to play and to inspire. If it has, why not join our Netball family and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Together, we can create a better world through Netball.